Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Come on. Is that not amazing? Come on. That's one of those people say God's not real. Watch this. You know what I'm saying? Man, I got to tell y'all, one time I was uh, praying for the Ravens, you know what I'm saying? I said, God, deliver us this victory. And my buddy was like, that's weird, dude. Why are you praying for sports? God has bigger things to be concerned about. And then I showed him this video. And then we proceeded together to intercede on the Ravens' behalf. (laughs) And if you know anything about them purple birds, we took that W. (laughs) Ha ha. My name is Phil Cook. Everybody say, hi, Phil. Man, I love y'all so much. I'll just reiterate, I ask you to say hi to me because most of you still call me the young guy, all right? (laughs) My name is Phil, and you can call me Phil, one L specifically. I'm excited to be here. If you know anything about me, I love my Grace family, and I don't just say that because, uh, like, church is cool or whatever. I say that because every time I get up on this hill, I'm reminded of what God's doing. I see the different ministries at work during the week, like it's way more than just a Sunday here, and how God's moving and healing and just bringing restoration to people through all these different avenues, like life recovery, women's ministry, men's ministry, the Lord's gym, the Harvard and Closet, uh, the Grove, Awaken, all my young people, you know what I'm saying, and how God is just constantly working uh, here up on the hill, and I just love this family because of how God uses it. So I'm excited to be here, but, but before we do anything, We got to just be family right now, okay? So I need you to turn to your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, happy to see you today. Turn to another neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, I could have done without you. (laughs) Oh, man, who'd you pick second? (laughs) Who'd you pick second? It matters, okay? It matters. (laughs) Oh, man, well, we are about to study John 3, 16 through 21 today. Have anybody uh, been enjoying this John study? Anybody? I know I personally have really enjoyed um, just breaking it down verse by verse. We haven't done that here to this length in a while, and I found it oddly refreshing to just go verse by verse, week by week, and to see what you can pick up. We're only three chapters in, not even a full three chapters in, to the book of John in seven weeks, and we've pulled so much out already. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, constantly piercing joint and marrow, not just 2,000 years ago, today. It makes a difference. But let me recap quickly what we talked about last week before we dive in. I think what God's going to say through this passage, which is this this marquee, pinnacle passage, this passage probably all of us know, apparently 94 million plus another 90 million didn't know what it was. They knew after that football game, and the Steelers lost. Anybody just want to say amen to that? Hallelujah, God's good. (laughs) At least we're not Eagles fans, right? Last week, I did, Jeff's not here, so I had to. You know what I'm saying? I had to throw it in there. I can't get in trouble because he was not watching. Last week, uh, Mark so awesomely taught us uh, the story of Nicodemus and Jesus. 
Uh, uh, and Jesus in this story, a quick refresher, had just begun his ministry. He's, he's like right into it. We're literally in chapter three of the book of John. And Nicodemus is this high up religious leader, whatever that might look like, modern day context, you know. He's the Stephen Furtick, okay, or the Michael Todd, or the John MacArthur, or wherever you fall and the type of people you like to watch. He's that guy. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he basically is like, bro, we see what you're doing. And you gotta be of God. That's effectively what he said. That's Phil's translation. You don't want that version. And he says, how do we inherit eternal life? That's the question he asks. Isn't it the, the question we're really all asking? How do we inherit eternal life? And Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, like it's one of the first things he does. He's only uh, done one miracle yet, and that's the miracle at Cana with the wine that Alex talked about. And, and quick note, if you were here during Alex's message or watched it online, he made a statement. And he said that he is the thicker, more handsome version of me. Um, I'd like to go on record and say I agree. So Alex, if you watch this, love you, okay? You are thick and beautiful. All right, all right. Anyways, Nicodemus comes to him and he asks this question. And Jesus, from the very beginning, makes a, a very specific point to set like a standard for the rest of the Gospel of John. And what does he say? He says, you must be born again. That's the phrase he used. And Mark kind of broke that down last week, talked about the bucket talk, how God, Jesus was getting down and kind of saying, hey, this is it. This is where the, the rubber meets the road. This is what you need to know. And it's not always easier or maybe it doesn't make the most sense. In fact, if we read a couple verses back from what we're about to study, it says that uh, being born of the Spirit is like the wind. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going. We just feel it. We just feel it, and that's how it describes this um, being born again, this spiritual rebirth. But what happens, and then he says this happens when we believe in the one that God has sent. And then what this does is roll, it rolls directly into our passage today. The beautiful thing about studying the John, like verse one to verse, whatever the last verse is at the very end, is that like they all roll right into each other. Like they all connect. So we should be connecting. We hope you guys are studying for yourselves through this. But his passage, Mark's passage, rolls directly into John three sixteen through 21. And the cool thing is, while I'm not going to say this is 100% true or not, a lot of uh, modern texts separate these two passages, like verse 15 stops, and then there's like a new section and a new quotation, and then three, 16 through 21. A lot of scholars actually believe this is a continuation of the quote, a continuation of Jesus talking to Nicodemus and explaining what needs to happen. All right, so maybe we can read it that way. Uh, but before we read this, I'm going to pray for our time, and we are going to get into this passage. All right, pray with me. God, you are so good. I, I thank you so much that times like that Tim Tebow example are times we can look to where you are so apparent. There's no question whether or not you're there. There are admittedly times, God, that I do question, and I wonder, and I'm confused but thank you for the times you've shown up, both in Scripture, both in our lives, both in the lives of those around us, because when we look at those things, it is impossible to argue how good you are. And today, God, I pray as we read this passage, this, this verse that you've given to us as a way to describe your plan for us, I pray that it would hit us fresh this morning. No matter if we don't know where we are in faith, Till we've been walking this thing for 30 years, God, I pray that you would give us something fresh this morning because your word is alive and active. Teach us something new this morning, God. We ask you knowing that you can do it and then help us respond to it because when we respond to the word of God, it changes absolutely everything. 
We pray all these things and all God's people said, amen. John Smith, I'm looking at you, bro. You ain't sing? At the Grove, whenever we say amen and, and awaken, we sing. We, the whole room starts singing. You want to try it? All right, let's try it again. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on now, amen. Come on now, amen, amen, amen. Yeah. I look at John Smith. He's my fearless uh, awakening leader who leads it every week. He leads it like a champ. He can't sing to save his life, but he loves the Lord. <laughs> Let's pull up the verse, shall we? John 3, 16 through 21, I encourage you to open it up in your illuminated scripture journals. If you did not grab one of these, uh, it's not too late. John's a long book, so we got a long time. I encourage you to grab one. If you plan to be sticking around, hanging out with us, uh, it's a really useful tool. I've been using it myself. Here we go. I'm going to read it for us, and you can read along with me in, in your heads, please. For God so loved the world mm, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. I love the NIV, it says verdict. And this is the verdict. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Let me just like talk about that for two seconds because I'm not going to talk about this in the message, but it got, I feel like it just hit me in this exact second. Like, like, why do people not like the idea of Christianity, the idea of God? Because it, it involves exposing things about them. We don't like that. I don't like that. And that's why people don't like it. Because the, the message of Jesus, what we're going to talk about, is so good. It's an entire message of love and God saving us. And he's telling us why we don't like it half the time. Because it involves us unveiling some stuff about ourselves. I digress. Continue. Verse 21. <laughs> but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We aren't going to like just even waste any time. We're going to dive one million percent head first. You are so loved. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You are so loved. If you're sitting in a seat right now in this room, online, wherever you may be, you are so loved. And we're going to talk about how loved you are. Now, a little bit later in this message, we're going to dive slightly deeper and see that the emphasis of this passage is actually not on the quantity of God's love, but the avenue of God's love. But what the entire Bible declares, and this passage sums up in like this pinnacle verse that we all know, is so simply that you are loved to a level that's impossible for you to even actually understand. I'm just going to let that sit for a second because we're going to talk about a type of love for the next five to ten minutes that a lot of us maybe don't either, either believe or haven't experienced yet, but I, it is factually for you whether or not you currently get it. Some of you walked in here this morning in, in a room this big with this many people. Some of you walked in this morning not feeling very loved. Maybe that's because of how your week's gone, a boss or a coworker, and some, some rough stuff there maybe troubles in your home, a child hasn't been very responsive to you, maybe a parent hasn't really been there for you, a, a friendship or a relationship has started to fall apart or maybe completely fall apart, maybe you've recently lost someone. Whatever it may be for you, I'd imagine there's a lot of people sitting in chairs right now or sitting in their living rooms right now that don't 
feel so loved. They don't feel so, like, not only not do I feel loved, there's no way I feel so loved. But what you didn't realize this morning is that you weren't walking into Grace Fellowship Church to sit in a chair. You were walking into Grace Fellowship Church this morning to be told and reminded that the creator of the universe loves you infinitely. The one who put the stars in their place loves you infinitely. The one that molded the earth so that it could, like, us be able to live on it. You, do you know that if any little tiny, minute difference in like the atmosphere, the ozone or anything was different, we would be dead. We would not be able to exist. The one who created that and molded that so that you could exist on this planet loves you. Doesn't love the church, like doesn't love the root. No, you individually in your seat. God loves you that much that he can look in a room full of this many people. He can look at a world with eight to nine billion people and love every single individual person and not just love them, so love them, so love you. And before some of my fam in the room immediately started to think, well, I don't know, Phil, if God's real, I don't know if he can love all this. Not only does God make the stars and the earth, he made you. He knows 100% anything about you. The Bible says that he knows every single hair on your head. And you know what he still says? I love you. I so love you. So if you're in the room right now and all you can think about in the moment is all the things you don't love about yourself, God doesn't dislove those things about you. He loves them. He loves you. Like we could never overstate the importance of understanding how much God loves you because the rest of the Bible, all the other things God wants for us, all the other things he wants us to do, all the things he has for us in life, they all come after you understand how much he loves you. If you wake up every single morning and just simply remember how much God loves you, it'll change how you live your life. It'll change how you treat other people. It'll change how you go about absolutely everything. Can I, I woke up this morning and I thanked God that he loved me. Can I tell you something? That is not narcissistic. That is not selfish. You should wake up every single morning and remind yourself how much God loves you. You should. Let me give you some scripture to back it up. God says, so we know and rely on the love that God has for us because God is love. In all things, we are conquerors through him who loved us. Listen to this one. Though the mountains may be shaken and the hills be removed, God's unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Oh, what does that mean? Any area of your life that you feel shook up, any area of your life that you don't feel love, any area of your life that you feel struggle or turmoil or fill in the blank, that doesn't shake God's love for you. It doesn't. It can't. And it never will. God loves you. He so loves you. And look what it says in this, in this verse. Oh my gosh, I love this. It says, for God so loved the world. What does it not say? For God so loved religious people. For God so loved the good people. Y'all, for God so loved American people. Mm, doesn't say it. It doesn't say that God so loved white people, black people, Hispanic people, straight people, gay people, diligent people, lazy people, hardworking people, poor people, rich people. It does not say uh, God so loved Republicans or Democrats. It says God loved the world. You know what that means about you? If you woke up this morning breathing, you qualify which every person in this room does. And if you don't, we got to get a you see, EMT in here or something. You know what I'm saying? Somebody get the crash cart. We'll bring them back to be loved by God. <laughs> well, actually, if you know God and you die, you're going to be loved all the more fully. You know what I'm saying? Maybe we'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> Mark's back there like, Phil, what? No. 
It's like, it's slightly metaphorical, all right. Well, here's a quick little word for us. If we really believe that God loves us that much, let's stop treating other people like they're not loved like God that same amount. Ooh, come on, come on. God loves you. I'm going to keep saying it. You cannot redundantly talk about God's love. If we came to church every Sunday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, Thursday, and add another day to the week, and we only talked about God's love for us, we'd be doing it right. You can't overstate it. You can't. You can't talk about it enough. In fact, we don't talk about it enough, which is why the world is the way it is. If pe- I, I say this to my young people all the time. The product of the world is not politics. It's not anger. It's not fill in the blank. What I, no, the product, of, it's because people don't know how loved they are. If someone knew how much God loved them, it would change everything that they did. Why do we try to change people before they know how much God loves them? We need to stop telling them to change, start telling them how much God loves them. There's a huge difference there. Come on, God loves you, even if you don't believe it. That's for some people in the room. You know, your belief in God's love for you does not change God's love for you. You cannot believe God's real, and he still loves you. I always say this, like, like it's so ironic to me that, because that, I used to do this, people would be like, well, God's not real. You think, you, little you, in York County, Pennsylvania, making an average income of $48,000 a year, living in an apartment in Red Lion. You think your disbelief in the God of the universe makes God less real. <laughs> nothing on Red Lion in apartments. I'm just, it was a metaphor, like a hypothetical situation. If, you, if, you, if that's your situation, I was not talking about you. <laughs> or maybe I was. Someone in the room's like, how did you know? <laughs> this is creepy. Man, God's so good and he loves you so much. Just hear that and accept that right now. It doesn't matter what you think about it. Our opinion is so insignificant when it comes to God's love for us. You can think whatever you want, God loves you. He so loves you. We cannot read this passage without knowing that, man. We love a ton of things. I love pizza. Anybody love pizza? Yeah. Somebody would have asked me, what would you eat every day? You know, you've heard this scenario and some of y'all are like, I'd eat a healthy. No, I would eat pizza every day, as long as I get ranch and hot sauce with it. <laughs> what are you like? Mustard? No. He didn't say mustard. I just made that up. <laughs> he didn't say anything. I, I love pizza, man. Can I tell you something? I, like if I'd eat pizza every day because of how much I love it, God loves you infinitely more and that's how much more does he want you a day. How about a sports team? Man, I already talked about I'm a Ravens fan. Like, what sports team do you love that you're at fault because you sit in church on Sundays you're itching to get out for the football game? Caught. Whatever that is for you, man, you are, a, you are, dude, you have an allegiance to this team. God's allegiance for you is a million times more than the most allegiant you could be to a sports team. Where my ladies at? How about how many of you love Chip and Joanna Gaines? Mm-hmm. Every female voice in the room and every male voice, yeah, we got 10 of their cookbooks. She never uses any of them. It's on a stand in our kitchen. It just looks nice. I just described half of your guys' living situations. We Christians do weird stuff. It's great. You you love Chip and Joanna Gaines. You follow every recipe. You think they are just the match made in heaven. They kind of are. God loves you way more than you could love Chip and Joanna Gaines. How about that relationship? I'm talking early stages. I'm talking you just met. You don't realize how many problems the other person has. Okay? You think everything's perfect still. Nothing could possibly be wrong. And you're just so in love. (laughs) Because love is all in the first month, right? (laughs) 
y'all. I'm just, I'm feeling it today. <laughs> that bubbly feeling that you feel like could never break down, God loves you infinitely more than that. And the difference is his love for you never does break down. Amen. Come on. God loves you. I want to do something real quick because I think just if we're in here and we really believe this and we want to be about God's love, like we need to celebrate God's love, okay? So if in this moment, in the, this morning, you are even slightly encouraged, maybe you know God loves you and you're just reminded of that this morning. Maybe you walked in here not feeling too loved, but right now you're like, I kind of believe you, Phil. Maybe God does love me a lot. I think like the neighbors need to know how excited we are about God's love for us because we can say we're loved, but if we don't live it and celebrate it with our lives, it doesn't mean a whole lot. So I'm going to count down from three and even my quiet introverts in the room don't be the only one to not make some noise because God loves you too your quiet self all right we are going to make some noise if you got to whistle yell stand up clap scream whatever you got to do the neighbors got to know that God loves them too all right here we go three two one that's what I'm talking about that's what I'm talking about and you know what the beautiful thing is? Heaven's going to sound like that times 100 forever. Come on. God loves you. And he so loved the world that he sent his son. You're so loved. And I pray that you know that. And if you don't, just be reminded this morning, it doesn't matter whether or not you feel it or believe it, you are. There is a fact and a truth to the matter. God loves you. I pray, I pray, I pray that you know it. He looks at you. He sees beautifully and wonderfully made. He doesn't see the problems that you see. He doesn't see the mess that you see. He sees beautifully and wonderfully made. We had to start there. We had to start there. We can't talk about John 3.16 and not celebrate how much God loves us. But I think that the next couple verses here actually are equally important, and here's why, because they're going to teach us that we can actually trust that love. Because I think if we're real, that's probably the number one issue is like we like the idea of God's love. It's about trusting whether it's there for us, right? I know for me, that's just, that's the truth. I believe it in, in here that God loves me. How often does my life reflect that? How often do I wake up and go to bed just basking in God's love for me? You know, it's hit or miss. I'd give it 50-50. Can, can I be hot, honest, open, transparent? 50-50. But I think the next verse is God never leaves us hanging. That's why I love scripture. We can read this really, really encouraging verse. And like, I, if we're going to, you know, the whole way honest, most of us can quote 316. How many of y'all can quote 317? <laughs> and like four hands went up. Thank you. You're one of them. I saw that. It's good. But the next ones can teach us to trust scripture. So I'm going to throw them up for us. Look at this, 17 through 18. So he loves us. He sent his son to die for us that will live forever. Bang, beautiful. Next, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So while I believe this passage, like, like primarily screams of God's love for us, here, here, it's also screaming about God's constant, unchanging, and perfect character. I'm going to explain why. But before we get there, when we're talking about an, an unchanging, perfect character of God, and how that's important for us to really trust his love for us, I think it brings up a reality that we live in a culture and a world that constantly questions who God is, what he does, and doubts who we claim he is, right? And, and maybe that's you, and that's okay. Like, if you're here and you're in that boat, like, I'm kind of doubting it, I'm kind of questioning it, welcome. Please come back next week. We might disappoint you one of these times, but we hope to see you the week after that. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? 
And maybe you're sitting in a seat and you believe it. Like you believe it. So you've seen the people around you doubt it. You've seen the people around you question it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up a few common questionings of God's character, and we're going to briefly address each. And then I think that this passage specifically addresses one of those questions, and it's going to show us why God is constant and he has never changed. All right, so the first, well, that's my, that's my point. There you go. Point two for your notes. God's character is constant. I said it like 12 times. I forgot the slide. God's character is constant. Here's some of the examples of people questioning this. All right. First one. Well, if God's all good, how could he let this happen? Raise your hand if you've ever thought or heard this question. All right. Because we've probably all said it. If God's all good, how could he let this happen? It's maybe the most common questioning of God's character or who God is or what he does. But our response is that throughout the Bible, God constantly allows people to make decisions, good or bad, or in the middle, deal with the consequences of those decisions. And we're told over and over that's actually a part of his goodness. We're told over and over that us being allowed to live life and, and things happen because of the way places we go, the things we do, the people we encounter and how we encounter them, that there will be consequences, good or bad. And it's actually part of God's goodness because love can't be forced. I, I always say this to people. If God made us love him, is that love? If you had an a, a, a intimate relationship you were trying to be in, <laughs> my single people are like, yeah, I'll preach. And you made them love you. Like you shackled them to a bed. And you were like, this is where you live now, fam, bam. You love me. Is that love? God operates the same way. We have to love him ourselves. If he just fought, we're just robots otherwise. God don't want robot love. He wants real love because he so loves you. But let's continue. In fact, both the God in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament, so consistency, constantly say things like this. In this world, you will find trouble, but take heart for I have overcome it for you. He constantly says things like, hey, hey, I love you. Stuff's going to be weird sometimes, but I'll never leave you, never forsake you. You are never doing this alone. If nothing bad was ever going to happen and that was our expectation, why would God ever feel the need to say something like, I'll never leave you or forsake you? He doesn't even need to say that because nothing bad's going to happen. We'd never question it. The, the scriptures are full of Old Testament examples of people going through a whole bunch of crud. New Testament people, like the disciples, 11 of the 12 were martyred, meaning killed. They didn't live like happy, you know, go lucky in a mansion, you know, I'm saying like with air conditioning. <laughs> air conditioning didn't exist yet. You know, God's good. We are blessed. Okay. Or heat. I guess we should pray for heat right now. Thank the Lord for heat. He consistently says things like that. Even from early Genesis, we see that God intended all things for good until we made choices. So when we see a question like this, why we want to be sensitive because we're allowed to ask questions. I've asked questions like this pretty simple breakdowns and, and look, looking at our different situations would tell us that God's always been the same. It's us who so often aren't constant, right? How about this question? Or yeah, this, this questioning. Well, all Christians are hypocrites. You ever heard this one? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then it just makes you boil inside because you're like, you don't get it, but I don't really know what to say back. I'll tell you what to say back. Correct! Next time someone looks at you and says, well, all Christians are hypocrites. Yeah, dog, you right. You're so right. Let's go to church. I'll give you an example. Just like this was maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago. We had a, a newer guy come to the Grove, which is our young adult ministry. Plug for anyone 18 to 25. It's popping. All right. But uh, this young man came up to me afterwards and he was like, hey, I really, I'm going to paraphrase. I really like what you, what you said. 
But I got to be honest, there's just a lot of people in my life who like say they're Christians, but then they do a whole bunch of this stuff. And it just seems to me like Christians are all hypocrites. And I literally, without raising my voice or like even shifting tone at all, was like, yeah, bro, that's the whole point. <laughs> that's the entire point is that we are all jacked up, all messed up. We all got a whole bunch of problems in here and we need someone who doesn't have those problems. And his name's Jesus. If I was perfect for being a Christian, what do I need Christ for? Come on. Like, we have to see that the Bible over and over and over again tells us this. The entire point of being a Christian is that we're lost and in need of a Savior. Not that we're perfect and got it all together. Like, church has never been a house for a bunch of saints. It's always been a hospital for sinners. So when you come to church and you, we say things like, well, all Christians are hypocrites. Yeah, that's why we're here. We are messed up. We are messed up and we need God badly. I get up here and talk about how much God is just great and he loves me and yet I still mess up all the time. I will never get up here and say I don't because then I don't need Jesus anymore. And we quickly see that again, God's constant. We just misunderstand. How about this question? If God really loves me, where was he during this? Whatever this is, fill in the blank for you. Now this one's a little bit more of a sensitive one, right? The reason being is this one hits home somewhere. This probably hit a really hard spot. This probably hit a place where you were in some severe doubt. Maybe you had lost something that was really close and you're feeling that void of the loss, whether that's a person or a situation or a job or whatever. And we asked this question, if God really loved me, we're talking about love today, Phil. If God really loved me, then where was he during this? But our response is that these types of thoughts are us implying that if God really loved us, then any time anything we view as hard happens, he would arrive on the scene and solve our problem. We view him as a magic genie or a superhero. He's Iron Man. He's got to come swoop my problems. And again, I want to say this sensitively because there are very real problems. And God does often intervene in very real problems. I'd imagine that a lot of people in this room can testify to that. Yet... There's levels of problems with this type of question. Let me address a couple. The first problem is this. Problems are subje subjective. Like a problem for one person, a hard time for one person is not a hard time for another person. Let me give you an example. In America, we out here getting depressed over Instagram likes. Where in a third world country, they're just happy having enough food for the day. And the reason I bring up that type of comparison is because when we look at God and say, well, where were you? Then what we're trying to say is that no matter what I view as hard, you should just swoop up and fix it. But what does that say? That says we're way too focused on us, right? We're looking here way too much, all right? How about another problem with this type of question? My experience with this type of question is that the people often asking this question, and again, we've all asked it in our own ways, but the people often uh, maybe aggressively asking this question in an attempt to disprove something, aka God or whatever, they're also the people that often have spent no time pursuing God, no time following God, no time with God's people, uh, no time to in any way, shape, or form get a frame of reference for how God works and what he does and who he is. And the problem there is that then when things go wrong for that person, and again, this is not condemnation on anybody because we've all been there, but we have to hear hard stuff to change. The problem with that type of question from that type of person is that then what happens is when something bad happens, we throw up a prayer like this, God, if you're real, please do something. We've all done that, right? And to be very clear, God answers prayers like that. But if we haven't spent any time with God, following God, hearing from God, we haven't spent any time around God's people, then we don't know what he sounds like. 
So when we pray the prayers that we want the answers to, but we don't know what it sounds like, we're not around the people of God to help us. Well, God threw a million avenues of help and we've just forsaken all of them. And that gives another problem with this type of question is that he's been there the entire time. Were we there the entire time? How about one more problem? Throughout scripture, we see story after story of people who went through ridiculously hard things. So if we've read the Bible, we know it's not all sunshines and rainbows. I read the book of Job, just bless your life. <laughs> and read the book of Job, don't, I mean, do it, but it won't bless your life, it's gonna be, it's a really hard read, all right? There's all the four people who have read it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm playing, I know a lot of y'all have, I love y'all. We read those stories, what, what happened in all these different scenarios? Some trusted God through it all. And we see as they trusted God, even in the hard things, God delivers them time and time and time and time again. Some people were kind of iffy. Like Jonah is a good example. He was kind of in and out. He was like, ah, I'm going to run away from you for a little bit. Well, then there were consequences for him running away. He, it literally says he went through a storm. That's not even metaphorical. It's metaphorical and literal. And then there's other people who just completely ignored him. God, that is. And we see that those people over and over again didn't fare too well. So when we ask questions like, if God really loved me, where was he during this? The right question might be, where have you been? Where have we been during the storm? Because when things are hard for me, and I've chosen to lean into God harder than ever, every time he showed up, every time, not once has he forsaken me. And again, with a question like this, we see that God has been constant. We are often the ones who aren't. But then I think this passage, verses 17 and 18, now we're back there. I think it answers another one of these types of questions that proves God's consistency to us so then we can trust his love more. And that question is this. How can God be a God of wrath in the Old Testament, but a God of love in the New Testament? Any, anybody ever heard that? People who are like the fake Bible scholars who like went to like three years of Catholic school and they're like, I know the Bible! God was one way there and he's a new God now. How? And you're like, bro, you ain't never really read it, have you? But we'll still talk. We'll still talk. Three and a half hours later, they still don't get it. It's all right. We'll pray for you. Prayer is powerful. As I'm studying this passage, John 3, specifically 17 through 18, this kind of, again, pinnacle passage of, of supreme importance and God summing up his entire plan and really thinking and praying about what God's saying here, I feel as, as God's unveiling his plan to save the world, he's also clearly showing us my character has remained constant. What does he say? He said, for I didn't send my son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but those who do not believe stand condemned. So what do we see in these two verses? We see the wrath of God. We see the justice of God. Like, hey, if you don't accept my love offering, you don't accept what I'm giving to you, to, to figure this out, then yeah, you're still condemned. My wrath didn't go away. My justice, I like that word better. My justice doesn't change. But we also see so, so, so clearly the love of God. How he always offers a way out. He always is there. Again, if we would turn to him, the question's never been whether or not he's been there. It's always been if, we've, if we're going to be there. If we're going to show up. And in two verses, we see these things. His love, his wrath his justice, and, and guess what? We see these themes in every single biblical story. Every single one from the garden, where he loved them deeply, but there had to be justice for the decision they made. It's from day one. God has never changed. God 
has been constant. And not only does God not change between the Old and New Testament, but when we really break it down, we see that him sending Jesus backs up who God has always been. It actually backs it up if we really study it. Look at this quote. I absolutely love this quote. Jesus came to earth not in order to change God's mind, but to express it. God's heart has always been for you, and now we're back to how much he loves you because now we see his character's constant. Jesus didn't come to set off a wrathful God with a loving Jesus. Jesus was the wrathful God, and he was also the medium to which we do not receive that wrath anymore. Jesus is that love. He didn't come to change God's mind. He was the expression of God's mind for us. He's always loved us. We see it again and again. The question is whether or not we show up. You ever heard the pursuit of happiness example? I'm going to blow your mind real quick. If you've seen the Pursuit of Happiness movie, it's a good movie. It's Will Smith. He's balling. Long story short, Jaden Smith is telling this story. He's an adorable little, like, four-year-old in this movie. And he's like, hey, Dad, can I tell you a joke? He's like, yeah, tell me a joke. And it went like this. There was a man drowning in the ocean. Sound familiar? The world. (laughs) There was a man drowning in the ocean, and a boat came by. I was like, you need some help? And the guy was like, nah, God's going to save me. And the boat's like, all right. (laughs) And then another boat comes a little bit later. It's getting harder to swim. And he's like, hey, you need any help? Like, we can help you. And he's like, no, no, no. God's going to save me. All right. Well, a little bit later, a third boat comes. It's like, hey, dude, you look like you're struggling. Can I help you? Nah, man, God's going to save me. Well, he drowns and goes to heaven. He gets up to heaven. He says, God, why didn't you save me? And he says, I sent three big boats, you dummy. Where are the boats in your life that it's about whether you're accepting, it's about whether you're showing up, it's about whether you're choosing to see it. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. He's the boat that sent us out to save us from drowning. So what we do now is we can, from this, take a step back and we can realize that not only is this passage an amazing declaration of God's love for us, but it also depicts to us that God's character is constant. And because God's character is constant, we can trust his love. You can argue that with me all day. You aren't going to win. God's character is constant. Therefore, we can trust how much he loves us. And when we trust how much he loves us, it changes absolutely everything about everything. How good is that? So then, as we transition into this last little portion, I got, I got something for y'all. When we transition to this, if we see then that God's love was sent for us and to us, and his name is Jesus, and we see that God's never changed, and Jesus is actually the expression of who God has always been, then the question for us today is, what do we need to do? At a bare minimum, Phil, you've convinced me. Phil, I already believed this, but now I believe it more. (laughs) Hallelujah. What do we do now, though? What do we need to do in response to this? Well, I think we can dig into this passage a little bit more and get a really clear answer. So here's what I'm going to do. Put some information up there for you, okay? Some info. I'm going to read the passage, and I'm going to tell you why I'm talking about what I'm talking about. For God so loved the world. I was digging into the Greek a little bit for my my scholars in the room, my people who like stuff like that. Most of you probably don't. For those who do, appreciate me. I was digging into the Greek a little bit. The word so in Greek, the original uh, uh, language, that word did not want to come out, the original language that the New Testament was written in, the word so is hutos. Someone say that with me. Hutos. It's majestic. Sounds good. Say it one more time. Hutos. Now you know Greek. You didn't know you were leaving educated today. But it means this. It more specifically translates to in this way. So uh, a more maybe proper or more accurate 
uh, way that we could read this verse is this. For God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son. For God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son. The reason I bring this up is because this actually slightly changes the emphasis of the passage. While it clearly is displaying God's deep love for us, like we, it changes nothing. God so loves you, fam bam, loves you. It actually focuses less, hear me, on the quantity of God's love and more on the avenue by which he loved you. Let me, let me say that one more time. The passage really is actually focusing less on how, like, like how much, the quantity of, of how he loves you. It's focusing a little bit more on how he loved you, like by what he loved you, the avenue to which he loved you. In other words, God is trying to make it abundantly clear, I love you a whole lot, and here's how I did it. Look at the how. He's like emphasizing, look at the how. So what do we need to do then in response to this? We have to accept the avenue. He's focusing on the avenue that God chose to love us and saying we have to then accept that avenue. He's making it so clear. I love you. I sent my son to die for all of your mess, all of your problems. But unless you accept Jesus as Savior, the Son of God, who died on a cross from you, rose back up three days to save you from sin, sin which otherwise earns you and me death, unless you accept that avenue of my love, you cannot be saved. Like, like, I don't love getting up here and talking about that type of stuff, saying like, you know, hell and all that. It's like, we talked about born again last week. That's a hard thing to talk about. But it's in here. So if we don't talk about it, like, we're missing something. We're doing something wrong. And this is clearly saying, if you do not accept the avenue to which in this way, in this way I showed you my love, if we don't accept that avenue, verse 18, two verses later, says you stand condemned. Again, we see that God has never changed. God is still a God of wrath and justice, but he's even more so a God of love because he sent us a way out, a beautiful way out, whose name is Jesus. But we live in a world and a culture, y'all, who teach us constantly, especially for my young people, teach us constantly to do whatever you want. Gosh, you can just find slogans of major brands and all these different, like, people doing this thing and these groups stand for this and that and it's all about do what you want be who you want to be believe whatever you want to believe just go and experience nature and you'll find yourself whatever that may look like and we're taught this whether or not we know it every single day through social media through the news through your schools through people trying to kick God out of stuff over and over and over we're told this type of lie that if I maybe just live good enough that should be enough for God if God's real like this fake committing to God where I'm just going to try to act right and if God's real, he'll let me. No. Like, like if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this extremely clearly. The God of the Bible does not offer a buffet table of options. The world does. The world tells you that like, hey, why, why is one religion more right than another? Ever heard that? Believe what you want. Do, do you boo. Be whatever, however you want to be in this moment. However you feel this morning, that's just who you are. God doesn't offer that buffet table. It's a hard truth, but it's a truth we have to talk about because the world's not going to tell you it. God does not only not offer this same buffet table that says, hey, you can take this path, you can take this avenue, you can choose these options, and you'll be fine. Just take your pick. Jesus says things like this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then in the book of Acts, I love it. And it says, and there is salvation in no one else. The faith we serve, the Bible we read, the God we believe in says there is one single avenue and you have to accept it. You don't get a choice. I know we, like the culture tells us we get choices. The culture says, hey, you are important and you should get, God, (laughs) your level of importance and God's are not, you know, there's an infinite plane of difference. He gives us one option. That's it. And we have to accept that avenue. He's so intentionally in this passage. It's so much more than us just remembering God so loved the world. He's so intentionally in this passage emphasizing the avenue by which he loved us and that accepting that avenue, the avenue of Jesus Christ died on a cross and raised three days later, is the only way to heaven in a right relationship with God. It's the only way to not stand condemned when we all talk to God after we pass on from this earth tent. And last week, Mark talked about this idea of being born again. This is it. It's not that complicated. Being born again, Romans 10, 9 says, believing in your heart and confessing in your mouth that he is Lord. And then you will be saved. And you'll be born again spiritually like a ton of people in this room have been. But as we close out today, we want to give you guys the opportunity to respond to this. We, if you've been here the last maybe couple months, man, grace is moving in a new way. The Holy Spirit's moving in a new way. And, and we don't believe that you just come to church to sit in a seat and then leave after a perfect hour and a half. Like, stop making lunch plans an hour and 40 minutes after church. You know, give us two and a half at least. I'm playing, y'all. I might not be. Have you ever heard me? You know what I'm saying? 45 minutes serving goes an hour and a half. Hallelujah. We're going to give you a, a brief chance to respond here, but here's how I want this to look like. This is in your own spaces because God's love for you is between you and him. God's sacrifice for you is between you and him. It has nothing to do with the person to your left or right. Listen to me. Listen to me. Someone. I don't care how much the person next to you believes it. It's between you and him. I don't care if the person next to you has accepted it or not. It's between you and him. Someone else's salvation doesn't get you saved. Someone else's sanctification doesn't get you sanctified. What God has for that person to your left's life is not what he has for your life. So here's what this is going to look like. We're going to have some ambiance. And I want you to just sit with you and yourself and your Savior Jesus one to two minutes. This could look a, a, a litany of ways. Maybe you have not accepted this avenue yet. And the Bible does not mince words. It doesn't. There is a single avenue to heaven. His name is Jesus, and he's the best thing that ever happened to this earth. That's why we still talk about him 2,000 years later. That's why there's 2.4 billion Christians in the world. It's the largest religion, and it's not that close, because good news travels fast. Maybe you've never accepted it, though. Maybe you've questioned God's character. You've had the doubts, and maybe some of them just got addressed, and you're a little curious, a little more curious than you were when you walked in today. Maybe you've been walking this. Maybe this is year 25 of you and Jesus, and you need to be with him right now and remember how good he is to you. You need to thank him. Like, when's the last time God's love for you broke your heart? It should break your heart every day. 
Maybe that's what you need to do right now. You need to let the love of God for you and what he did for you 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, break your heart again today because he loves you the same now as he did then. Uh, well, and maybe you've accepted this, you've believed this, but, but the avenue, maybe you're not on the avenue. You believe it, you've received it, but, but you've been walking this way. God says there's one avenue, and even though you believe it, maybe you aren't walking it. There's been a lot of paths you've been choosing, and God's calling you back. Because remember, he said the road is narrow, the gate is small. And he wants you back because he has purposes for you, big things for you to do. He, he has love. He wants you to walk out of this room experiencing that maybe, even though you call yourself a Christian, you haven't felt this love in a long time. And maybe that's for these next minute or two. That's where you got to sit and talk to God. And let me just encourage you in something. There is no wrong way to talk to God. If as I'm talking about this, you're like, well, I don't really pray that much and I don't know what to say. That's okay. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit translates for you anyways. So you got a whole mouthful of big words. He's like, probably like, shut up and just be with me. How do I know that? He says that to me all the time. <laughs> if he'll talk less and just be with me. Mm. So that's what we're going to do. I'm actually going to ask that we're going to dim the lights a little bit. And, and just one to two minutes, like wherever you fall on that spectrum, just give it to God. Maybe you got to accept him for the first time. Maybe you got to accept him for the 500th time and be reminded of who he is to you today. We're going to spend time doing that now.
God, I, I thank you in this moment that as I think about what you've done for me, and then I pray for my family of grace, wherever they may be at, I'm just reminded in this moment that you know where every single individual is at. You don't look at a room full of people, you look at the people individually that you love. I pray for the person who maybe hasn't accepted this yet, that whatever doubts have gotten in the way, whatever issues have gotten in the way, that you are infinitely bigger than all of them. And it is so simple to come to you just to believe and confess with our mouth that we believe what Jesus did for us. You made it easy because of how much you love us. I pray for that person today that if today's the first time they've accepted that they would celebrate because they are no filters allowed now into the kingdom of heaven to spend forever with you. That's how it works. And I pray that they would tell somebody if they said that in the quiet of their heart for the first time that they would tell somebody today that they wouldn't try to do it alone. I pray for those of us who have accepted this and are doing our best to walk this, doing our best to tell others about it, doing our best to let it change our lives because you're so good that you want what's best for us. I pray that today your love for us would just wash over us fresh. That if we haven't experienced your love in a while, that today would be a fresh experiencing of how good, why we chose this to begin with. Because of your love for us, it has never changed. It's unfailing. And you have graced and blessed so many of us in this room to know you deeply. How amazing. That, that should break our hearts every day. That God came down and died on a cross after living a perfect life for everything we've done wrong. He did that for me. He did it for you. That should break our hearts in such a good way every single day. God, we ask that you would do that through your Holy Spirit in this moment, just to move us into a new place. Whatever we walked in, that we wouldn't walk out the same way, but that you would take us to that next step that you want us to take. We thank you every single day of our lives for what you did for us that God so loved us that he sent his son to die on a cross and that by believing in him, we would never perish but live with you forever. What a thing to celebrate. What a thing to sing about. And what a thing to worship. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Stand up and let's worship God for what he's done for us. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.